Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you have revealed your word to us, that you continue to speak to us. You are by no means a God that has gone silent. So Lord, we come into your presence today and we have heard great words from you already. We have heard that our sins are forgiven on account of your Son, Jesus Christ. But there's more that you have to say to us, Lord. We are your children, and you earnestly desire to speak into our lives each and every day, and especially on Sunday as you speak to us together as brothers and sisters of the way. So, Lord, may your spirit be at work in us. May we grow in our understanding of you. May we mature in the disciples that you have called each and every one of us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's get real, real quick. Okay, are you ready? People are annoying. You know it's true. Don't just do the church laugh. You know that was on the spot. People can wear us out. Now, I'm not just talking about the friends that we have. Of course, we're not those friends, right? Uh, those friends that we have, that their life just seems to be like an erratic emotional roller coaster, up and down, up and down. And they always invite us to get on the roller coaster with them. And it's so exhausting, isn't it? There's people who love drama in their life. To me, those are the most annoying people of all. These are the people that if there's no drama going on, no pool of drama for them to jump into, they start digging a new pool so that they can jump into more drama in their life. Annoying. And there's people who are very consistent with their life, very stable, we might even say are very trustworthy with their life, and they're annoying too. Why? Because I'm not so consistent. Because I'm not always stable. And because sometimes I'm not as trustworthy as I would like to be to others, which makes them annoying to be around because I'm reminded of all the shortcomings in my life. Now, social media has engineered for this part of our human nature and how we have a tendency to annoy each other and bother each other. If you were to be a Twitter person, you have this incredible gift at your fingertip. With one click, you can unfollow a person. One click. And that annoying person or whatever it is about them that annoys you is gone. How can this be anything but a gift from the Lord? Facebook is even more impressive than Twitter, although I'll tell you something I learned, yes, from the early service today about Twitter. That ought to shock you right there. Facebook does it even better because on Facebook, now you can unfriend somebody, right? But they might see that friendship. 
Facebook has taken this into consideration. So you can do this. You can unfollow and yet remain their friend, which means they think you still care about what they say <laughs> and you don't hear what they say. How genius is this invention? Now, here's what I learned from somebody in the early service is Twitter has now added a mute option. So you can remain friends with them and just mute them. How great is this? But then we can get a little closer to home and realize sometimes family annoys us. We all giggle and we're like, stop, pastor, don't go farther. But yes, guess what? Your spouse can wear you out. Your child can wear you out. And children, I haven't forgotten you, your parents can wear you out. And guess what? You can wear all of them out. But there is no, by God's design, no unfamily button. Now, we wish there was. Sometimes we extend grace to ourselves as it relates to aunts, uncles, and cousins that we can maybe have a little bit of grace in an unfamily there. But that's not really true because at some point, we're going to have to be with them at a funeral, maybe even Christmas. And so we have to act like we love the family members that are annoying, even the extended ones. You know, the ones when you go into a room and your mom warms you. Now, remember, Aunt Celine is going to be there, okay? Just a little warning. We can easily annoy others. We can easily be annoyed by others. Today in the lesson for Micah, God senses this internal issue going on in the hearts of his people. And his people are certainly not living in a way that he has called them to live toward one another but see, what's got the Lord's attention is this, is he has sensed in the hearts of his people, maybe they haven't vocalized it, but what he has sensed is that they have become tired of him. Or they believe that he is the one, God is the one wearying them. And it's almost as if they're looking for this unfollow option or this button that they can hit that makes God stop interacting with them. They seem to want to disconnect in a certain way. And God knows what's going on in your life when you're wearied by God, which usually from our perspective means God's not doing what we expected him to do or told him to do. We are wearied of him. We don't understand how to explain a situation in our life we get very wearied with God. It's kind of like our U.S. presidents, right? There was a period when everything in the world was George W. Bush's fault. And then there was a point when it was everything was whose fault? Let's say it together. Obama. And now whose fault is it always going to be? Trump. It's the same with God's people. We come to these valleys, these situations, these moments in life where we're wearied and our immediate response is to blame God. So God sensing this comes to 
his people through the prophet Micah, and he says, we're going to court. And we're going to begin with the people of Israel who they believe are the plaintiff. And for those of you that are younger, the plaintiff is simply somebody who believes somebody else has done something wrong against them, and they have the evidence to make a case against the other person, which is the defendant. The defendant is the one who has to defend this accusation and this charge that has been brought against them. So God enters into this case with Israel believing that they are the plaintiff and God is indeed the defendant. But watch how quickly it turns. If you open your Bibles to Micah chapter 6, page 779, I want to look at just the first two verses and we'll see how quickly things seem to turn. Hear what the Lord says, verse 1, to Israel. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. In other words, that weariness that you are attributing to me and my interaction in your life, let the mountains and the hills be witness. You say with your own lips and with your own words what it is that your evidence is against me. Let the hills hear your voice. Don't keep this inside. This is between you and me, and the mountains will bear witness. Say what you believe I have done wrong and what you are accusing me of. And ironically, there seems to be no answer, though their murmurings are that this is God's problem. Quickly, we see, verse 2, how things turn. Here, the Lord says, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. In just a moment, you and I go from being the plaintiff, taking up an issue with God, to in a moment finding ourselves in the defendant seats with God saying, I have an indictment against you. And then God begins his opening argument with the question, what have I done to you? How have I been the one who wearied you? And when the people didn't have any evidence, God most certainly does. God begins with, do you remember when you lamented, when you complained, when you Wind because you were under the oppression and slavery and hard labor in Egypt. Do you remember that? I'm the one who delivered you out that. Do you remember when you found yourself in the plains of Moab surrounded by enemies and how Balak, the king of Moab, how he hires a prophet to prophesy against you, my people, and I worked in a way to make that prophet that he hired speak a blessing over you. 
Do you remember when you were threatened by enemies all around and I'm the one who delivered you? Do you remember when you came to the edge of the Jordan River and you could see the land that I had promised you and your forefather Abraham and how I am the one who delivered you from this land into the land of promise so that you might be a nation, that you might be my people. The overwhelming amount of evidence from the Lord is amazing. The Lord just simply reminds His people who believe He's the one who has wearied them. He simply reminds you, I am the one who has consistently delivered you and rescued you and ransomed you from the situations you've been in. And if the mountains could speak, if the hills could share their voice, they would have with one acclaim said, Israel, you be guilty. We could kind of laugh and say, uh, the mountains also say, Tim Ratke, you be guilty of this. And a whole nation recognizes they have no evidence. They recognize that they indeed are guilty, that they indeed have been indicted by the Lord justly and rightfully. And their reaction is, oh my goodness, what is it we are going to do to make this situation right? And the prophet goes from their common answers to extraordinary to really absurd answers about how they can answer this guilty indictment that is upon them. And he begins with, well, maybe you could offer a one-year-old calf. And that sounds maybe weird to our ears today, but a one-year-old calf is a pretty special calf because it has survived the first year of life and will only increase in value to its owner. So to sacrifice this would seem to be a pretty big thing on the part of that person. But then it goes on and says, well, what if I were to sacrifice a thousand goats to the Lord? Maybe this would satisfy this indictment and this guilt that is upon me. What if I gave to the Lord 10,000 rushing rivers of olive oil, which would have meant something in the Old Testament. And then it goes to the absurd and says, what if I offer my own firstborn child as a death sacrifice to the Lord for my sin. Now that's serious, especially when you're the firstborn kid. Hey, Dad, not so quick. But all of these, from the common to the extraordinary to the absurd, none of these things will remove the indictment of your guilt. Not one of them. And as absurd as it may sound, the reason is because of this. God doesn't need anything that you can bring to Him as if He's insufficient. And the other fact of the matter is this, is nothing you can bring, whether you bow or bring it to the Lord in great amounts, none of it will fix 
and remedy the sin soul problem. And as absurd as this may sound to you, the remedy is actually that God the Father, who has always acted on behalf of his people, it is him who will send his only son as a death sacrifice for the remedy of the sin that invades your soul. That's the only thing that will make it right. But God's not done talking to them. He says, you know what I want of you. It's not that you don't know what I want of you. You just haven't done what I want you to do. And after all of this, with all the evidence in the Lord's favor, the Lord doesn't give a response to his people that is something that he needs. He says this, is what I want you to do in verse 8 is I want you to do this. I want you to begin acting justly to one another. I want you to do right by one another. I want you to love kindness. I want you to show mercy to one another. I want you to walk humbly with me. In other words, I want you to walk in your life in such a way that you're moving and living with others with an orientation from on high, not through your own lens. This is what I want you to do. You see, God's response has nothing to do with something he needs. It has everything to do with what your brother or sister in Christ needs. Yes, even the annoying one. You need to do right by them. You need to show mercy no matter how hard and impossible they seem to make it. You are sons and daughters of the light, and sons and daughters of the light show mercy and walk humbly with an orientation toward God's point of view. See, we Lutherans, we let ourselves out from under this kind of word, and we say, you know, yeah, but I'm, I'm just, I'm always a sinner, and I'm not ever going to do it perfect, and I'm not ever going to do it right, so I don't know that I can really act justly uh, and love mercy. I mean, I can certainly see myself loving justice. I love seeing other people get what's coming to them. I love when others take time to show acts of mercy to me, particularly in Christmas cards. I love all that, but, you know, I, I'm just going to go with the fact that we Lutherans understand that we have a sinful nature and that we're sinful. And when the Lord says something like, uh, act justly, love, kindness, walk humbly with me. I'll just put that as one of those things that's not possible in this life. And you would completely miss what the gospel promises. You would completely miss that one of the things God does when he meets you at the waters of baptism when he makes you his own, when he breathes in life to your spiritual death and he raises you from the spiritual grave, he also imparts to you his very spirit and through this gospel, you have the power of God at work in you in the horizontal life to act justly, to love kindness and to walk humbly 
with the Lord. The Lord empowers you to do this. To say that you can't because you're a sinner is to deny that you have even been saved because here's the thing. The only people who are bound to their sin, chained to their sin, are those who have not been set free by Christ. You are still a sinner, but you aren't chained. And God has given you power, so you can't say God has made me in a way that I'm incapable to act justly. God has made me that I'm unable to love with kindness. God can say to you, I'm not the one who's stopping you from living this way. Actually, I've given you my spirit so that you can live this way. You won't be perfect, but don't get exhausted with me because you have to continue to be kind to a jerk. You think it's about the jerk. No, you're exhausted with me because that's my standard for a son and daughter of light. Do right to the one who seems to continually do wrong to you. You might get tired, but your tiredness is not with the sinner. Your tiredness is actually with God's expectation. God, why do you make it so hard to live with these people? And little do you know how many people are praying, Lord, do you know how hard it is to live with a guy like Tim Radke? Or insert your name. Christ has come to life, come to earth, to show you exactly what it means to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with his Lord. And he has now, through your baptism, enabled you to do the same. So go do it. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly love, uh, Father, we are completely reminded of your great love for us and your mercy for us in that uh, we didn't have to do all the right things to be saved, that you came down to earth to save us through the righteousness of your Son. But Lord, this righteousness has been imputed to us. In our conversion, we have received not only faith, but the gift and the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, Lord, we are a people who, yes, continue to sin, but we are also a people who have seen the chains to sin broken and have been given the strength through the very gospel itself to live as sons and daughters of light toward others. Lord, help us to endure in this task, and let us give all glory to you when we do, and let us remember that the Spirit is the only one at times in our life who can lead us to love kindness when we are met with bitterness. So, Lord, grow us, mature us, and let this word bear fruit in the lives of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.